this past week, there was an opinion piece in the Wall Street Journal entitled The Unconquerable Islamic World. And the article was making an argument that the problem in Afghanistan right now is ultimately a religious problem. Uh, let me just share one quote from, the, from this article. He says, we set out to establish a liberal democratic state not realizing that politics lies downstream of culture and culture downstream of religion. It never occurred to us that America was what it was because of Christianity and Afghanistan was what it was because of Islam. He's arguing, in other words, these are two very different uh, conflicting worldviews that have two very different goals and ultimately because they are related to two very different religions. And the passage that we're looking at this morning, I think, shows us why Christianity is so different from every other religion, and in particular, Islam. And I just want to share with you a quote about our passage that highlights the difference between Christianity and Islam, and in particular, their founders, Jesus and Muhammad. So I'm quoting now. Perhaps... The contrast is best symbolized by the way Muhammad entered Mecca and Jesus entered Jerusalem. Muhammad rode into Mecca on a war horse surrounded by 400 mounted men and 10,000 foot soldiers. Those who greeted him were absorbed into his movement. Those who resisted him were vanquished, killed, or enslaved. Muhammad conquered Mecca and took control as its new religious, political, and military leader. Jesus, on the other hand, entered Jerusalem on a donkey. Accompanied by his 12 disciples, he was welcomed and greeted by people waving palm branches, a traditional sign of peace. Jesus wept over Jerusalem because the Jews mistook him for an earthly secular king who was to free them from the yoke of Rome, whereas Jesus came to establish a much different heavenly kingdom. Jesus came by invitation and not by force. And today we're going to look at Mark's account of this important, significant event of Jesus marching into Jerusalem. We're going to talk about what that means about him and what that means for us today. So if you would please turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 11. Please stand and honor the reading of God's word. I am going to read verses 1 through 11 and this is the very inspired word of God. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they said to them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest! And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Let's pray. Father, I pray you will open our eyes this morning, just like you did Bartimaeus, the story we looked at last week. Uh, Open our eyes that we might rightly see Jesus, and therefore we might follow him as our king. For your glory, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. 
So there are four characteristics of Jesus that we see in this passage that I want to highlight. And I want to use the language that we get from Revelation, the book of Revelation, in order to do this. So first of all, I want to talk about the fact that Jesus is the lion and the lamb. And then we're going to transition and we're going to talk about the fact that he is the alpha and the omega. So let's begin by talking about the fact that Jesus is the lion. Where do I get this language? I get it from Revelation chapter 5, verse 5, where John says, One of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. We often hear the lion today referenced as the king of the jungle. He's the king. He's in control. He's sovereign. He's dominant. And that's the same kind of uh, you know, idea that's behind this language of referring to Jesus as the lion. He's in control. He's sovereign. He's, he's the king. And we see several ways in our passage that he, in fact, is the sovereign king. Let me mention them several. First of all, I think we see it with the details of securing this donkey for him to ride into town. Uh, some people believe that Jesus prearranged this. He kind of had this worked out. Uh, and that's possible. It's a possible interpretation. But I think the way Mark presents the story, he's been in Galilee. He's just come from Jericho. He's just arrived in town. And I think Mark is emphasizing this sort of miraculous part, this miraculous orchestration of this event where Jesus says, all right, guys, I want you to head over to the next town. They're, they're just outside of, uh, of Jerusalem. There's a couple little villages there, Bethany, Bethpage, that you go by as you come from the Mount of Olives, entering from the east, heading to the temple. And Jesus says, go on to the next village, and as soon as you enter, you're going to find a donkey. How does he know that? I think he knows it because he's the king. He knows all things. And he says, you're going to find a donkey, and not just that, you're going to find a donkey that's not yet been ridden, unridden. How does he know that detail? He's, he's the king. He's in control. He knows all things. And he says, guys, if anybody asks you what you're doing, you just respond to them and say, the Lord has need of it. And they'll let you have it, and you bring it to me. Okay. And so the disciples go to the next town, and sure enough, right there is a donkey. And sure enough, it's one that hasn't been ridden. And sure enough, somebody says, hey, what are you guys doing? Taking the donkey? That donkey doesn't belong to you. What are you doing? And they say, uh, the Lord has need of it. And they say, okay, fine, take the donkey. Say, wow, how is this happening? Right? He's the king. He's orchestrating all of this. Right? I think we also see he's the king. He refers to himself as the king. Verse 3, he says, if they ask you, what are you doing? You tell them the Lord has need of it. He's referring to himself as the Lord. He doesn't do that very often, but he does it here. He's the Lord. He's the king. He's, he, he sees himself as the lion. He sees himself as the king. And third, I think we see his sovereignty in what he's doing in riding a donkey from the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem. I don't think this is sort of a last minute, I'm really tired, I need some help, you know, with transportation. Can you go find an animal to help get me this last little bit? Right? He's just climbed 2,500 feet up. He is probably tired, but I don't think this is him saying, I'm tired, I think I'm going to ride a donkey the last way. He's making a point here. He's saying something. He sees this as being significant. Um, the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, see this as being significant. How do I know that? Because they all four include it in their gospels. Anytime you have all four including the same detail and the same story, you say, that's a significant story. You know, they, they don't do that very often. 
For example, they don't all four include the story of the birth of Jesus. And think about how much time and attention and energy we give to that story. And, and only two gospel writers saw it as being significant enough to include it in their gospel. And yet all four gospel writers see this story as being significant enough to include. The crowds also see it as being significant. Uh, Mark doesn't tell us it was large crowds, but the other gospel writers do. And they tell us that the crowds are coming out and they're lying cloaks on the ground and they're laying palm branches on the ground. And why are they doing this? They see this as a coronation, like a king's coming. You see this in, in the Old Testament, in the book of First Kings, Second Kings. They do this. They act like this toward people they see as kings. They act like this as sort of a coronation. Here comes the king. So the crowds see this as a significant event. They're interpreting it in an important way. And we also see it in what they're saying. Listen to what they're saying. Look at verses 9 and 10. Those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Verse 10, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. In other words, they say, with Jesus is riding this donkey into town, into Jerusalem, this is the coming kingdom of David. David's kingdom is coming. And, and, and Mark tells us that they refer to it as David's kingdom. The other gospel writers tell us they refer to Jesus as the king. John 12, 13, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Luke 19, 38, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. So the, the crowd is explicitly calling him the king. The crowd is saying, this is a coming kingdom. And Jesus doesn't reject the claims at all. He could have said, hey, 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 that's a little much. But Jesus embraces it. In fact, it's the Pharisees who say, hey, you need to tell these guys to stop. Like, this is, this is wrong for them to be calling you the son of David, the king. David's kingdom is coming. The Pharisees are like, can you shut the crowd up? And listen to how Jesus responds in Luke 19:40. Jesus answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. If these people didn't praise me with their lips, guess what? The creation would praise me. As the psalmist says, let all the earth rejoice. Let, uh, make a joyful noise to the Lord. All the earth. All the earth. Because he's the king. And if people won't bow the knee and recognize it, the creation will. He's the creator. He's the king. And all of creation will bow down and recognize. So Jesus has no problem with this crowd recognizing this is a coronation. This is the king entering into Jerusalem. This is the lion he has no problem with them saying, this is the king, and the kingdom of David is at hand. Now, I could imagine someone here pushing back a little bit and saying, wait a minute. I thought earlier you were talking about this great difference between Christianity and Islam, and Islam's all about power and dominance and control and sovereignty. But it sounds a lot like that's what you're saying here. Jesus is the king. He's in control. He's orchestrating all of these events. But there are some significant differences between the two. I could highlight multiple differences. I just want to highlight a couple one, Jesus is claiming to be God. He's claiming to be the creator. He's claiming to be the king. He's claiming to be the lion. Muhammad never made that claim. Muhammad claimed to be a prophet of God who talked about God. He claimed to make claims about God. Jesus not only claims to make claims about God, Jesus claims that he himself is God. Huge difference, right? And another key difference is Jesus backed it up. 
For example, Jesus said, I'm going to lay my life down. I'm going to die, and three days later, I'm going to take it up and rise from the grave. And guess what? He did. There's an empty tomb today in the Middle East because he's alive. Muhammad, on the other hand, died June 8, 632 in Saudi Arabia, and, 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 and his, he's still dead to this day. So significant differences between the two. Let me highlight one other difference. Jesus is not only the great lion, the great king, Jesus is also the lamb. Uh, I mentioned Revelation 5.5. Listen to the verse that follows. Revelation 5.5 refers to Jesus as the lion. Listen to the verse that follows, Revelation 5.6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. So John is told by the elder, come behold the lion of Judah. And John goes to see the revelation of the lion and he doesn't see a lion. He sees a lamb. Why? Why does he see a lamb that appeared to be slain and not a a lion? And the answer is because Jesus is both. He's the lion and he's the lamb. And I now want to highlight the the lambness of Jesus, the humility of Jesus, the meekness of Jesus. Uh, First of all, I think we see it in the fact that he has to arrange his own transportation for his own coronation. You know, it's kind of a makeshift coronation. Like last minute, hey, uh, can you guys go get a donkey for me, right? Kings aren't supposed to do that. Kings aren't supposed to, you know, they're supposed to rely on some kind of coronation committee, right? To coordinate the plans and arrange the transportation and secure the donkey. The, the, The king shouldn't have to be doing this last minute. It's kind of a makeshift coronation. I think we're supposed to see something of the humility It's kind of a humiliating coronation scene. And that's not to mention, I mean, just the nature of the animal he's riding. He's riding a donkey. Kind of unimpressive. Unridden donkey. Small donkey. Right? Not a chariot. Not a war horse. Not the way you'd think most leaders, you know, world leaders, the way they enter is kind of a big deal. You want it to just be right. You plan out the details. You want it to be kind of impressive. You want it to be kind of overwhelming. Wow. Check this guy out. They must have power. You know, perception's a big deal. Jesus comes in, the king of kings, comes in riding a donkey. And and I think the way our passage concludes is supposed to let us see something of the humility and the humiliation of the whole scene. Look at how anticlimactic our story is. Look at verse 11. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, it was already late. He went out to Bethany with the 12. Like, that's it? (laughs) You just came into Israel, everybody's bowing down, king of kings, lord of lords, you get into town, it's kind of late, I think I'll take a look around the temple, and then there's not even a place to stay, like in the city, the city of David, Zion, Zion's king just came, the whole city came out to coronate the king, and you got to leave Jerusalem (laughs) and go back out where you came from and go stay at the Mount of Olives? Right? That, that, that's not the way we would expect a king to be treated. We would expect the whole city to come out and be like, here's your palace. Right? The king of Israel, here you go. Let's set up camp. Let's do this. And that's not what happens at all. And this reminds us of the fact that perhaps some of these same people in this crowd who are yelling out, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, are possibly some of the same people who just several days later are going to say, crucify him. Right? This is Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Resurrection Sunday. 
Right? You know, this is just several days before they crucify him. And when they crucify him, it's, it's at the hands of a lot of people cheering this on. Great crowds, crucify him. Give us Barabbas. And perhaps it was some of the same people, the same crowd. And, and Jesus knows this. He knows he's entering into Jerusalem as the Lion of Judah. He knows he's entering Jerusalem as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And yet at the exact same time, he knows he's entering as the Lamb who is heading to his very own slaughter. He knows it. He embraces it. He, he willingly accepts it. He's the Lion and he's the Lamb. It's a great sermon by Jonathan Edwards preached in 1738 title is The Excellency of Christ, and he preaches from this text in Revelation 5, 5, and 6, and he really utilizes and leans on this imagery of Jesus as the lion and the lamb. So I'm going to take this opportunity to quote Jonathan Edwards. The lion and the lamb, though very diverse kinds of creatures, yet have each their peculiar excellencies. The lion excels in strength and in the majesty of his appearance and voice. The lamb excels in meekness and patience. But we see that Christ is in the text compared to both because the diverse excellencies of both wonderfully meet in him. I have found some people tend to really resonate with the idea that Jesus is the king. They're like, amen. But it's hard for them to kind of wrap their minds around the idea that he's also the lamb. And some people are really easy. It's easy for them to see Jesus is the lamb and they celebrate it. He's the lamb, amen but it's really hard for them to see. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I've found most people tend to fall in one of these two categories. So I would encourage you this morning to consider which of the two categories do you fall into? Are you, if you're the person that says, Jesus is the King, right on King Jesus, right? He's the King, He's going to rule one day, and that's just the way it is, the end. I, I would say to you, right on. Keep that, keep that strong vision of Jesus. Amen. Yes, he's the king. Yes, he's the lion. Don't let go of that at all. But don't forget, he's also the lamb. And, and we need him to be the lamb. We need him to be our lamb. We need him to take on our sin. We need him to be our substitute. We need him to be crucified and to bleed to death publicly. Right? And so uh, go to him, not just as the lion, go to him as the lamb. And for those of you who really resonate, Jesus is the king. You're probably the kind of person who also kind of emulates that aspect of him. Like you think of yourself as you're the justice person. You're the righteousness person. You're the black and white. You know, this is right and we're going to do it this way. And, come on. and if that's you, wonderful. Keep being like that. That's great. But don't forget, you're not only emulating the lion. If you're truly emulating the true lion, guess who else you're going to be emulating? The lamb. So if you're really going to emulate the king and be the person of justice and righteousness, which I hope you are, don't forget to also be the person who emulates the lamb because he's not just the lion, he's the lamb. And if you're going to be like him, there has to be some humility and some meekness and some compassion with you as well. For those of you who see Jesus as the lamb, he's near, he's a friend, he's compassionate, he cares I can go to him. He listens to me. He's my friend. For those of you who see Jesus as the lamb, that's wonderful. Don't let go of that at all. But I want to remind you, if he's not also the lion, him being a lamb for you does nothing for you. 
The, the fact that, that he's a lamb and that his lambness does something for us is only significant because he's first the lion. And think about that. He, his sacrifice for you means nothing if you don't realize he sacrificed everything. He's the lion, the king of kings and lord of lords. Wow. Now, from there, consider that he's also the lamb and he laid it down for you. That's what will lead you to worship, by the way. He's the lion and yet he's the lamb. I hope you see this morning both views of Jesus. He's both the lion and the lamb. But now let's transition and talk about the fact that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. Three times Jesus refers to himself, I am the Alpha and the Omega in the book of Revelation. Of course, this is the first and last letter in the Greek alphabet. And in context, he's referring to the, the past and the future, right? the first and the last. And so let's, let's look, first of all, at the fact that he's Alpha. He's the beginning. He's the beginning. In other words, he has no beginning. His story doesn't begin during his coronation and his riding the donkey into Jerusalem. His story doesn't begin when he was 12 years old and he visited this same temple and his parents said, where, where did he go? His story doesn't begin at Bethlehem when he's born. His story doesn't have a beginning because he doesn't have a beginning. He's from the beginning. The Bible refers to his, his coming to us as his coming to us. It doesn't refer to it as his beginning. Jesus doesn't begin on Christmas Day. The Son of God has always existed as God, with God, eternally, and always will, and shares all of the same divine attributes and characteristics of God the Father as God the Son and God the Spirit. And the Bible has been telling us all along the way that the Alpha, the one who is from the beginning, who is with God, who is God, the Bible has been telling us all along the way leading up to this story that, that He is the Alpha, that He is from the beginning, and that He will come to us. Let me just mention several examples. One is from Matthew's account of this same story. The same story that we read in Mark. In Matthew's account, Matthew tells us that the events that are happening are an explicit fulfillment of what Zechariah told us would happen. Matthew quotes Zechariah 9.9. Listen to Matthew 21, 4 and 5. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Zechariah, saying... Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So Matthew tells his readers, Hey, the event of Jesus riding into town on a donkey, this is specifically a fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9. Zechariah told us this was going to happen. He wants us to see Jesus is, this is from the beginning. This isn't just happening by circumstance. Another example we see in our text is Mark 11.10 where they say, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. They see Jesus is coming as a coming of the kingdom of David. Like the kingdom of David is here. How can the kingdom of David be here? Because this is David's son. And remember the promise made to David, 2 Samuel 7, very important text. God says to David, you will have a son. He will reign on your throne, your kingdom, and he will reign forever. He will reign on your throne forever. And now Mark is telling us this is what's happening. The son of David, who is a king, David's king, is a Davidic king, is entering into the city of God, Jerusalem, Mount Zion, and he's David's son who's about to reign on the throne of David forever and ever. And that's what Jesus refers to in Mark chapter 12 when the religious leaders are basically saying to him, who do you think you are? 
You're not greater than David. You can't go around making claims like destroy this temple and I'll build it in three days. Who do you think you are? You're not greater than David. And Jesus says, well, then how do you explain Psalm 110? Where David speaking by the Holy Spirit says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Who is David's Lord that he's referring to? David says, the Lord Yahweh says to my Lord, David's Lord, you will sit at my right hand. Who's, who's David's Lord? It's Jesus. How can it be Jesus if Jesus is David's son? If Jesus comes many years after David, how can Jesus be David's Lord? Because Jesus is the Alpha. He's from the beginning. He precedes David. Before David was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. He's the eternal son of God who came to us as David's son in order to rule on David's throne forever. I hope you see Jesus doesn't have a beginning. As the son of God, he's from the beginning. And God's plan has been all along to send his son to accomplish this for us. Finally, I want you to see that Jesus is the Omega. He has no ending. His story doesn't end in Jerusalem. His story doesn't end at the cross. What happens at the cross, what happens in Jerusalem is a key part of the story. In some ways, the key part of the story, right? But it's not the end of the story. This is just his first coming. And his first coming and his mission that he accomplishes reminds us of his second coming. It's pointing forward to his second coming. I don't think we're supposed to read about the first coming without thinking about and considering the second coming. And Zechariah, by the way, tells us that at his second coming, guess where he's going to come from? He's going to come from the east of Jerusalem. He's going to come from the Mount of Olives. Just like he came the first time from the Mount of Olives, when he comes again, he's going to come from the east, from the Mount of Olives, into Jerusalem. And John tells us in the book of Revelation, the first time he was riding a donkey, but John tells us this time he's going to be riding a horse. Listen to Revelation 19.11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse the one sitting on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. So this picture we have here before us today in our text of Jesus sitting on a donkey, riding into Jerusalem, everyone hailing him as the king, should remind us of the fact that just as he came the first time, so he's going to come again. And when he comes again, he's going to come in a very different way, not a donkey this time, but a war, war horse. And the message of our passage and the message of the Bible and the message this morning is this. You need to make sure you're ready for that day. You need to make sure you're prepared when the lion returns. You need to make sure you're prepared when the king returns, when the alpha and the omega comes back. That's a day you want to be ready for. The Bible's clear. The Bible emphasizes this. The, 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 the point is you need to make sure you're ready. Right? And, and, and not just you need to make sure you're ready, but also... The lion is the lamb. And look at what he's done for you. Don't you want to go to him? Don't you want to be ready for that day? Not just, you better be ready, which is true. I mean, you better be ready, right? But not just, you better be ready, but oh my goodness, your king who's coming to you is also the lamb, and he sacrificed it all for you, and he loves you. So go to him, and believe on him, and trust in him, and be ready. Don't you want to be what is possibly keeping you from going to the one who is both the lion and the lamb? I want to share with you one more quote that I found this past week that highlights the difference between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. And I think as you hear it, it just drives home the point of the need for all of us to be ready. 
to be prepared for that second coming. So I'm quoting now. The first coming, he came to die. His second coming, he will come to reign. The first coming, he came on a little donkey. His second coming, he will come on a warrior horse. His first coming, he came as a humble servant. His second coming, he will come as an exalted king. His first coming, he came in weakness. His second coming, he will come in power. His first coming, he came as deity veiled. His second coming, he will come as deity revealed. His first coming, he came with 12 disciples. His second coming, he will come with an army of angels. His first coming, he came to bring peace. His second coming, he will make war. His first coming, he was given a crown of thorns. His second coming, he will receive a crown of royalty. His first coming, he came as the suffering servant. His second coming, he will come as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Few bowed down before the great king the first time he came. However, every knee will bow when he comes again. I love that last line. Think about that. Very few knees bowed the first time. Every knee will bow when he returns again. And my encouragement to you this morning is make sure you're ready. Make sure you're prepared for that day when every knee bows. You say, how can I make sure I'm prepared? Just hear God's word this morning. The lion is the lamb. Go to him and trust in him for, for his provision for you and your sin. Believe on him. As Jonathan Edwards would say, close with Jesus. Close with him. Believe on him. Trust in him. Seal the deal. Go to Jesus and bow the knee before King Jesus. And you'll be prepared. You'll follow him as king and you'll be prepared when the king returns. Let me pray for us.